0: Can you believe it? Here we are. Standing at the cross of Jesus Christ. I can't imagine anywhere else I would rather be than with all of you standing together. And have you ever noticed though that when that you and a friend can be looking at the same thing and yet see it so very differently? It can be helpful, frustrating, sometimes actually a little bit funny. I was meeting with a group of friends for coffee a couple years back, and one gal texted us, said she was she was late, being delayed by all of the garage sales, yard sales were slowing her down, and she just couldn't quite get to coffee. And when she showed up, she jumped in and her name is Amy, and Amy said, I just I just couldn't I, I, I had to slow down on the side of the road. There was this there was this, this old vintage cradle. And I just kept thinking this would be a and and immediately Jean interrupts, A flower bed in your garden, right? And she's like, Yeah, a flower bed in my garden. And I wanted to pull over and get it. And Adriana, one of the young moms in the group said, you drove by an antique cradle and you saw flower bed? I see danger, I see lawsuit, I see not up to code. And then Paula, who was also there, single, no children, never married, said I would just drive right on by looking for a lawnmower. So one object on the side of the road and several different responses and no response. Now, if Adriana, or Paula had ever turned a household item into a flower bed, they might have seen the possibilities. Each day, our past experiences, along with our personalities and our temperaments, impact the things we see, impact our experiences. On the road of life, we carry our stories that cause us to miss certain things or cause us to slow down and take them in and imagine all the possibilities. So for me, it's not cradles, it's car crashes. And this is because 24 years ago, I was in a, what should have been a fatal collision. I was driving 75, 70 miles north on the 99. My five-year-old Austin and two-year-old Aubrey were in the car, and I was six months pregnant with Olivia. And 100 yards in front of me was a car spinning out of control using the entire highway. There was nowhere for me to go with, but to hit her or him, whoever it was. Amazingly, the impact of the collision threw us both onto the shoulder. Our cars were totaled, but we miraculously survived. I remember sitting very, very still as my kids were screaming, trying to comfort them, but not wanting to move. I was so fearful I was going to lose the baby inside of me. Eventually, an ambulance came and took us to the hospital where it was discovered that Austin and Aubrey only suffered significant bruising. My leg was broken, and my neck and back were injured, but we all survived, including Olivia. She would be born three months later healthy. And even though it was 24 years ago, every time I see a collision on the side of the road, I slow down. And I relive the entire experience. I relive the spinning car. I relive the moment when I said to Austin, honey, today we're going to meet Jesus, which is what I said to him as I was hitting the car. I relive the crashing metal. My experience forever changed me. Now hearing my story, you may see a collision on the way home tonight, and you may slow down. You may even slow down tomorrow, but within a few days, you probably are going to stop slowing down unless you've been in a near fatal. If you've been in a near fatal accident, you are you know you're forever changed and you cannot see an accident without slowing down and thinking of all the possibilities. Over 2000 years ago, there was a collision of love and hate on the side of the road. The cross of Jesus Christ. People passed by and they hurled insults and they spit. They mocked. And by the cross were a group of women who said, "Yes, to standing nearby to witness it all. Each woman who stood at Golgotha brought her own experiences with Jesus to his cross. Each experienced Jesus' crucifixion individually, but also collectively, also together. Being together, I can imagine they viewed the cross more fully, deeper, confirming what they were seeing, what they were witnessing, When we say yes to standing at the cross of Jesus, as you've done this week, we bring our experiences that cause us to see the cross uniquely. And as we stand tonight at the cross of Jesus together with the women Jesus changed, I pray that we will spend enough time to deepen, to broaden our understanding of Jesus' yes for us all. But to be forever changed by the cross, this is staggering. God has given us something more. He has given us his perspective, his very words. God gives us in his word not just a view of the cross from the women's perspective, but God also gives us a view from the cross through the words of Jesus. And it is my prayer that as we spend the next couple moments looking at with a view of the cross and then a view from the cross that we will never be the same, that love and life will collide into our hearts like never before, that whenever we see a cross from this day forward, whether it's on a T-shirt or whether it's gold or silver around a neck or whether it's tattooed on a body, whether it's on a hill far away made of wood, there will be an inner collision of Life-changing love. So if you're able, will you stand to read the beginning of John's account of Jesus' cross? John 19, verses 14 to 18. We'll just start here. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. and and, And he said to the Jews, excuse me, Pilate, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. You can have a seat. So from John and the other gospels, We are given a view of the cross, and we are also given a view from the cross that we might be forever changed. And what we're going to look at tonight is these two views of love colliding first into desperation, of love colliding into darkness, and then love colliding into defeat. So first, love colliding with desperation, a view of the cross, what the women are viewing. Their Jesus is a desperate victim of hatred, Can you imagine the sensory overload? Mary's baby has been beaten. He's been mocked. He's been flogged, whipped unto almost death. He's had a purple robe and a crown of thorns. Those whom he created, those to whom he gave life, have called for a horrendous, brutal death. Shameful death. The smell of the animals at his birth, that we looked at just a few weeks ago, are nothing like the stench of Golgotha. Previously crucified bodies. Blood, sweat, flies, vultures. Once swaddled tightly in a wooden manger, Jesus is stripped naked and he's on a wooden cross. Soldiers are gambling for what used to be close to his skin what may still smell like him, what his mother may have created for him, made for him, what the bleeding woman might have touched when she was healed. Mary Magdalene, he clothed her insanity with sanity when he freed her of demons, and now he is facing the worst of evil in front of her. Salome, the mother of James and John, who had gone to Jesus and said, Jesus, I want my sons to be on your right and your left when you enter your kingdom. Now looks at his right and his left and who is there? Two other men being crucified. Is she wondering about what she asked? Is she watching Mary, Jesus' mother, and thinking, I better learn from her because this may be my son's destiny. How will I ever bear that? Each woman is seeing their own view of the cross and seeing through each other's view, but they needed another view, a view from the cross, from Jesus' perspective, from the Father's perspective. Jesus is a victor over the desperation of hate and ignorance. Jesus sees how ignorance breeds hate, whips up, consumes, destroys. And Jesus will not let that hate separate him from his father. He will not let that hate separate him and destroy their relationship. So much so, Jesus cries out on their behalf, on behalf of his enemies in Luke 23, 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Oh, they knew they were killing Jesus. Jesus but they didn't know who they were killing. The perfect son of God. In hate, they wished for Jesus' blood and when Pilate tried to wash his hands of it, they said, let his blood be on us and on our children. And Jesus wanted the same thing. He wanted his blood on their children unto salvation. They demanded that he save himself and come down from that cross and prove that he's the Savior. And he stayed on the cross to be the Savior. Jesus proves he is the love of God sent to restore humanity by forgiving sins. Jesus could love. Jesus could fight for his relationship with the Father. And he could fight even for a relationship with his enemies because he knew everything is going according to plan according to an eternal plan before the creation of the world. His blood is flowing to make possible eternal life. As he promised throughout his ministry, and we find in John three fourteen to 15, Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the, must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus was intentionally giving his life. The good shepherd was laying down his life for his sheep. His arms were outstretched to welcome the ignorant, the haters. To welcome all whom ignorance and hate is consuming and destroying. And when Jesus is embraced, hate is consumed by love. Like one of the two thieves. The beginning of Jesus' crucifixion, you saw this. Both thieves hated him, mocked him, hurled insults at him. Until one thief paid attention to how Jesus consumed hate with love, forgiving his enemies. It's no accident that the thief turns to Jesus in faith after hearing Jesus say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This is God. God. This is the King of Kings. And if this is his kingdom, I want in. And ladies, there is no greater evidence of God's power, his love, his truth than when we forgive. When love consumes our need for vengeance. When we forgive our enemies. If the women standing nearby only saw a view of the cross, Jesus is a victim. But to hear Jesus' words, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do, is the opportunity for the women Jesus changed to see what is really happening. Love is colliding into hate. Only seeing from the cross can we, too, have victory over anger, unforgiveness, ignorance. Jesus first collided with the desperation of hate as a victor. Not a victim. And then he collided with darkness. Matthew 27, 45 to 46. Matthew writes it this way Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A view of the cross? There, Jesus is a victim of darkness. He's abandoned by God. Jesus this cry reveals an astonishing unraveling, a darkness, a coming apart of one who was always peaceful, always controlled, even when he sorrowed, even when he wept at Lazarus' tomb. He was steady, and now he is unraveling. To what have you abandoned him, God? It is significant that Jesus is not using the name Father here. He is being truly abandoned. Imagine Mary's helpless ears, Mary his mother, he's taken from me his mom, but you whom he has known and he has loved for eternity, he's taken from you too? The greater the love, the deeper the darkness of abandonment. I have sadly walked with way too many women, maritally betrayed, abandoned. And the thing I've, wa- I've watched play out so many times is that the longer you're married, the more life you've experienced together, the better the marriage once was, the, the more deep the sorrow and the pain and the sense of abandonment. Imagine father and son in an eternal love, a perfect love, a perfect union. And he's made sin for you and me, and father has to turn away abandon him. The horror, the physical pain Jesus was experiencing was nothing compared to the horror of being separated from his father. And for Mary, he obeyed me perfectly. He obeyed you, father, perfectly. She looks at Mary Magdalene and the women who were with her. They're all here because of him, because he obeyed you. Her mama's heart, is breaking as her son is lost in the darkness. Jesus' only rescuer, the Father, has turned away from him. Mary Magdalene, whom Jesus found in the profound darkness of demon possession, the total loss of self, is she afraid her demons will now return? Apart from God, her life was a nightmare. It was empty. It was dark. Each woman sees the darkness, hears Jesus' words through each other's lives, understanding more fully what Jesus' isolation from the Father means. But a view from the cross? Jesus' words intended to take them out of the darkness. Jesus was giving himself over to an eternity of darkness in three, poured into three hours. The hells of everyone who would believe in him poured into three hours. He suffered the greatest of abandonment so we would never be abandoned to trust in him. He endured the worst of our suffering that we might glimpse just how bad sin is. I know many of you have struggled with, did it have to be that bloody? Did it have to be that hard? We need to see the reality of sin. Jesus endured the horror of isolation that we might grasp what our sin really deserves, what we are capable of. And we will never fully be able to see the hell Jesus experienced in our place because we would literally go insane. But if by grace we get just a little view, a little of his view, We can be forever changed. All our sin laid upon him, crushed under the weight of our guilt and shame. The one who never knew guilt or shame, never knew sin, became sin. The Father turned away as Jesus absorbed our death to rescue us from the eternal darkness we deserve and, 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 and give us his righteousness. We're not just rescued from our sin. We are given his perfect record, his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Why? I love how Tim Keller puts it in King's Cross. God made you to love him supremely, but he lost you. He returned to get you back. But it took the cross to do it. He absorbed your darkness so that one day you can finally and dazzlingly become your true self and take your seat at his eternal feast. If the women standing by Jesus only saw a view of the cross, the darkness of their loss would consume them. There would be no light of hope. The only thing that would keep them from falling apart was to see Jesus' view from the cross. His victory for theirs and for yours and mine. Jesus collided with the darkness of suffering as a victor, not a victim. And then he faced what looked like ultimate defeat. John 19, 28 to 30, we pick it up here. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst." A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. So a view of the cross for the women. There Jesus breathed his last. His life is taken from him. They are defeated. Is Mary relieved that the enemies cannot do any more harm to him? Luke records that when Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Is it some comfort for Mary that he uses the name Father again? Jesus is not separated from the Father anymore. In fact, Jesus is quoting Psalm 31 here, a prayer of Jewish children at night to be safe in the arms of God. But Mary's heart is colliding with defeat. She's never going to hear his voice, see his smile, feel his embrace, watch him change lives like the lives of the women who are standing with her. For each woman, Jesus is lost forever. The son, the healer, the restorer, the redeemer, the savior. Standing with each other, they witnessed Jesus' death from different perspectives, but they needed a view from the cross. A view from the cross, their Jesus' thirst for God's glory was satisfied. He was victorious. He fulfilled every law, every prophecy through his perfect life. That's what he means by it is finished. Jesus' life sacrifice satisfied God's justice the justice we deserve, the death we deserve, the wrath we deserve, satisfied. His obedience, our obedience, our forgiveness. No longer can Satan use our sins to defeat us if we have placed our faith in Jesus, to torment us with the fear of death. Jesus suffered absolute thirst, the torments of hell for all who trust in him. If the women standing near Jesus only saw a view of the cross, Jesus is a victim, fallen into his hands, fallen into the hands of his enemies, defeated by death. And now they are defeated in their fight against sin and in their fear of death. But seeing from the cross, love was colliding into defeat, his and so ours. Colossians two fourteen. Jesus canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. The, he's, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now, two thousand years later, here we are. You and me. We're standing. We're standing at this cross. And the words Jesus spoke at that cross are intended to collide into our devastations, into our darknesses, into our defeats. And here's where this gets really personal, and trust me, it's going to hurt me more than you, is Father, forgive them. Colliding into the desperation of our unforgiveness, of our bitterness, of our resentments. If we view the wrongs done to us from the cross, from God's perspective, from what Jesus has done, we can have victory over hate. Viewing wrongs done to us from the cross, we can choose, to let, we can choose not to let the sins of others separate us from our Father. Because that's exactly what unforgiveness does. We can recognize that hate whips up a crowd. Hate denies the cross. When we have unforgiveness, we are harming everyone around us. We can be empowered to not let ignorance and hate destroy us. We are empowered to cry out on their behalf, to bless those who curse us, and to pray for those who abuse us. My sister's forgiveness, empowered by the cross, lifts Jesus up, and that is when hate is consumed by love. Is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, colliding into the darkness of our sufferings and uncertainties? If we view our dark unknowns from the cross, darkness doesn't need to swallow us. Because Jesus was abandoned, his women, you and me, are never abandoned. Whatever darkness we're facing, it's not because he doesn't love us. It's not because he's mad at us. He absorbed all the wrath. We may be in the dark as to why we're suffering, why we're waiting for something, but the cross not only reveals God's understanding of what it means to be in the dark, to suffer in the darkness, but also that he is always at work in the darkness. One day... The darkness that seems senseless to you, Patty, to you, my sisters, will prove to be massively significant. Is it is finished, into your hands I commit my spirit, colliding into our defeating failures. If we view our fears and our failures from the cross, we see that we are safe in the hands of the Father and the Son, No one can snatch us. And when self or Satan or others throw our sin in our face, we can say, it is finished. Fulfilling God's Old Testament prophecies and promises, we can say the words of Isaiah 53, 5, Jesus was pierced for my rebellion. Jesus was crushed for my sins. The punishment for my peace was laid on him. And by his wounds, I can be healed. And when self, Satan, or others throw at us the fear of judgment, the fear of death, we can say, into God's hands, we will commit our spirit. Sin's defeat is death's defeat. For all eternity, we will be with the one who will wipe away every tear from our eyes, Revelation 21, 4. And death shall be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Are we standing at the cross? I know it is tempting to say, but Patty, if you knew my situation... If you knew how desperately I've been wronged, you would know forgiveness is impossible. If you knew my darkness, if you knew the suffering I'm facing, you would see that it is impossible for me to release my fears. If you knew how defeated I am in my sin, how enslaved I am, you would know how impossible it is for me to be forgiven. And if all we had was a view of the cross, I'd have to agree with you because Jesus is gone. But viewing our suffering and sins from the cross, we have to disagree and we have to contend with one another. Jesus wasn't taken from us. Jesus was given to us. The earth shook. The rocks split. The temple curtain tore a cosmic collision that gives us access to all the mercy and grace our suffering and sin needs. Jesus is risen. He is risen to collide into our desperations, to collide into our darkness, to collide into our defeat with his life-changing love. When we view Jesus' death from God's perspective, Every cross we see, whether it's made out of precious metal or whether it's made of tattoo ink or a rugged wood, will slow us down. We will experience the possibilities of his love and life colliding. We will imagine and enter into the possibilities. Father, thank you that we get to do that now, that we get to be with one another at your cross with you, the risen God, with the Holy Spirit indwelling us to be forever changed by a view from the cross. May we contend for the truth and experience the love of you colliding into every aspect of our life for your glory and for our joy. We pray in the risen Jesus' name. Amen.